Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the, the lead pastor here at New Life. Well, so we're in this series that we've entitled One Another. It's kind of perfect for this whole life group kickoff season that uh, this is something that we're focusing on as we head into this opportunity for you to get connected in a deeper way than just like a Sunday morning and uh, in relationships with other Christians that we can one another each other and, uh, and love each other, encourage each other, um, forgive each other, work through things together. And so um, there's a, I was thinking about it this week. There's a lot of things that, that you shouldn't do alone in life. And um, I've got a couple videos here for you to show you. The first one that you shouldn't do alone is you shouldn't really do a ladder alone. Um, so this guy up here on the screen has put a, a ladder on top of a table on top of a table. This kid's playing around. I mean, what could go wrong? You know, like he just, he's got this. That looks pretty sturdy. Well, I mean, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> Listen to you all, man. First service, they were like, yep, yep. You guys are like, oh, 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 freaking out. He's fine. Look at him. Look, he totally looks fine. He's fine. Uh, there's other things you shouldn't do by yourself. You shouldn't do, uh, like if you're uh, bench pressing weight that is too much for you to handle, you really shouldn't uh, do that on your own. Like this guy that uh, decided, you know what, I'm just going to do this and uh, I'm not going to have anybody spot me. I'm just going to try to do some weight that maybe I've never done before. Luckily, he's got it all on video for us to be able to see what he tried. Here we go. Let's see. I think we've all been here. Uh-oh. You should always ask your mom to spot you when you're living in her basement. Yeah, you should. This is something you shouldn't do alone. You definitely uh, got to get your mom's help on that. She would have helped them out. There are a whole bunch of things in life that we shouldn't do on our own. Um, things that we should involve probably other people, things like uh, making, a, making a major job change, you know, like involving other people in that, like, hey, you know, getting some wisdom, you know, uh, making a big purchase, whether that's a house or a car or um, moving, choosing to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a move or I'm going to buy a house. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a big change here. There are things that we shouldn't do on our own. And what I want to submit to you today and what we're going to talk about is this, that, that, that faith is in that category. Faith is something that God says you, you really just shouldn't do alone. And... Um, it really kind of flies in the face of our American Christian culture, um, of this whole kind of individualism that we bring into our faith where we're like, well, I'm just kind of on my own journey. I'm trying to find myself. I'm trying to find God. I'm trying to, you know, I'm working on my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, all of these things, these aren't, these aren't bad things. These aren't necessarily bad. But when they're done in isolation, then we can find ourselves leading ourselves down a path that isn't, that isn't that great. Like we all, we all know people that, um, that kind of are on their own, their own journey in faith and they, they've got the, them and Jesus and they don't, they're not involved in any um, other relationships that hold, hold them accountable or that they're processing things with. And we can all get a little weird when that happens, right? We kind of get on these wild tangents and stuff. My point is this, and, and we're going to look throughout scripture to just talk about this today, is that like if you're a follower of Jesus, you were never meant to follow Jesus alone. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't designed that way. Like, 
Jesus, and we look all throughout the New Testament, was that faith was supposed to happen in community, the one anothering of one another. And uh, the one another that we're going to talk about today is this one, spur one another on, that we're, we're called as a church, as a people, as a faith community to spur one another on. And so I'd love if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read a portion of scripture today. And uh, like we do each and every single week, it, I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. That would, that would be awesome. <clears throat> as, we, uh, as we read God's word, he has so much more and, and life change can happen in the reading of God's word rather than just listening to, to my words. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, so that's you, he's talking to a church, local believers. Since we have confidence to, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. I pray that um, it wouldn't just be words on a screen, but that it would be life to us. God, I pray that it would get down on the inside of us this reality that you call us to walk with other people. Lord, that faith is supposed to be done in community. So Lord, I pray that your word would bring revelation to us and change us from the inside out. God, have your way in this place, in our church, and in us individually. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. <clears throat> I want us to notice, as we kind of work down through this scripture together, the, uh, the argument that the writer of Hebrews is making. And um, when I say argument, I mean that there's kind of like this, this setup um, of progression that, of this portion of scripture that we just read that is, that's an argument. And it starts out with this word in verse 19, and the word is therefore. So in other words, and this is kind of a little, little hint for you, that if you're ever reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you should always wonder what it's there for. Like, you should always be thinking, okay, there's something, a causal relationship here that is trying to be brought together through this word therefore. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, and then these, this word, since, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and then he says it again, he says, and since we, we have a great priest over the house of God. In other words, he's saying, therefore, since you, you've been saved, since you've been delivered, since you can now enter into the, the most holy place and have a relationship with an with a all-holy God, since you have been forgiven, he then says, let us. Let us. He doesn't say let me or let you or let them. He says let us. Why? Because this faith thing is not just a me thing. It's a we thing. 
And that's what, he's, that's, that's what he's getting at. And I just want us to take some time to talk about these three let us statements that he makes. He's like, hey, so therefore, since, you, since you're saved, since you're forgiven, now let us. The first one, he says this in verse 22. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. So the first thing that we see is that together, as a community, we help one another draw near to God. It's one of, it's one of the things that, that we're supposed to be about as a community of faith, a community of believers. He says, let us draw near to God together. Like, like you are meant to experience God together. There is something that happens, and we've talked about this before, but there is something that happens that doesn't just happen on a Spotify you know, playlist or your favorite preacher's podcast. There's something that happens when God's people gather together in God's name where he shows up in a distinct way. We don't quite understand it. We know that God is always here, that he lives in us if we're, if we're believers in him. But he also says that where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Like he shows up in a different, in a different way. And this is, this is why, and I've, I've I probably once a month, I'll be, I'll be in the, the back corner of the connect corner after service, and, and I'll have somebody that's maybe their first time here. And they'll, they'll come up to me, and I can tell that they've pretty much emptied an entire box of tissues that, uh, that we have there. And they're just kind of, like, they don't quite know what to say. And they'll, they'll say, ooh, I, I don't know what's going on right now. This is my first time at church, and I, I walked in through the doors, and worship was starting. People were singing, and, and then you spoke, and I, I've been crying the entire time. I think I'm having an emotional breakdown. <laughs> concerned like I, I think this is good but I don't I, this doesn't happen like I don't do this and I have to sit and kind of like bring this explanation that like no that is simply the Holy Spirit of God working on you yeah. and that sometimes if, if maybe we're, we're not used to it and look sometimes even if we are used to it when God's Spirit shows up in such a way in our midst when we're worshiping together we don't have a place to put it so it comes out in like tears or emotions or Sometimes it comes out in, in crying or laughing. We just have this joy, like we don't quite know what to do with it, and it comes out emotionally. So I'm like, you know, you're not having an emotional breakdown. Like I'm not your psychiatrist or psychologist, but I just, you know, what's happening is that the Holy Spirit of God is working on you. And so what does that mean for each and every single one of you? Well, I want to remind you, Christian, that, that your worship will help draw people that you don't even know closer to God. So you may think, well, I just come in here and this is kind of what I do. I, I love worship or I love, to, I love coming to church and this is, this is what I've done. This is what I do. I come here every week. I just want you to understand that when God's people gather together in God's name, praising God's, praising God's name, then I just want you to understand that you help draw people who you don't even know closer to God through your worship when we gather together. It's a cool thing. It's a cool thing. That, 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 that something happens when we gather together in God's name. And then he continues and he says this, verse 23, not only let us draw near together to God, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. In other words, like together, we as, as a community of believers help one another hold on to hope. We all need people, I need people in my life that remind me to hold on to hope. Why? Because sometimes I lose my grip. 
don't know about you, but you ever had like just a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, where you're just like, man, I just don't see God moving in my situation. I don't see him moving in my finances. I don't see him moving in my marriage or in my relationship. And like, I just, I, I'm ready to give up hope, and I'm holding on. I'm, I'm reaching for other things that are going to give me this temporary sense of hope. It's a false hope, but at least it's something. We all need people in our life that are going to remind us who we are in Jesus and to hold and to get a firm grip on the hope that we have. We need people like that in our life. And I love how he says it. He uses this word. It's kind of weird because I don't really use this word much at all. You probably don't either. He says unswervingly. Let us hold unswervingly. I don't use that much, but what do you think of when you think of the word unswervingly? you probably think of the opposite way that your spouse drives. Right? Right? I mean, we all know someone who drives swervingly, right, that uses the kind of uh, those rumble strips as as back massagers, right? You just kind of, you're on long trips, you're like, whoa, okay, I wasn't ready for that, right? Because we all have a tendency to drive swervingly, not unswervingly. And we need people who are rumble strips in our life that are going to say, hey, look, you're kind of getting off track here. I don't know if you, you knew that that rumble strip is supposed to tell you that you're kind of, you're, you don't have a firm grip on, 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 on where you're going and where you're headed. So stay straight, stay straight. We all need people in our life. I need people in my life that act as rumble strips because I have a tendency to have swervingly tendencies. I don't even know if that's a word. And and so do you. And so do you. You need, you need people in your life like that. Proverbs 18.1, I love how, how, how it's written in this proverb. It says this, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. What I found in my own life is that isolation inevitably leads to unwise choices. I usually don't make my best decisions in isolation. In fact, I can relate a lot with this. Like a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all wise judgment. Why? Because I already got this. I, I know what the right thing to do is. I got this. I don't need to hear anything from anyone else. We need people in our life that help us to hold on to hope. And so my question, and I want us to be thinking about this through this message today, is like, who, who is a good rumble strip in your life? Somebody that like, hey, 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 whoa, 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 whoa where, are you, where are you going here? Like, stay, stay, stay on track and keep a firm grip on the hope that you have. Let me remind you who you are in Jesus. I know you feel like you're just kind of coming unglued and the wheels are coming off, but let me, let me, let me remind you who you are. We need people like that in our life. And then he continues in verse 24. So not only do we let us draw near to God together, not only do we, you know, let us hold on to hope together, he says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So together, we help each other to spur one another on. And, and when I hear this, like, at first glance, I'm like, yeah, like, I'm reading this, I'm thinking, yeah, like, I want to spur people on. I want to be spurred on. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I want to go higher. I want to go faster. I want to go deeper. Yeah, absolutely. Like, spur, spur me on. But the reality is this. Think about the word spur. 
it is normally used in a negative context. It's not normally used the way that the writer of Hebrews uses it, where we're being spurred on to love and good works. The word spur, think about, it's, it's that like, it's that spike on the horseback rider's heel that is used to dig into the horse's sides to urge them to move forward. It, being spurred is a painful experience. It may feel good to spur somebody else, but it does not feel good to be spurred yourself. So this word spur, like actually in the Greek, literally means to, get this, to irritate, to stimulate, and to annoy. You're like, oh, I have a lot of people who spur me. Right? You're like, they're sitting right next to me, right? Like I... I got a lot of people in my life that, that irritate me and annoy me and spur me. And it's not to love and good works, I'll just tell you that much. Like, I, I, am, I am all done with people spurring me. But the writer of Hebrews, I mean, he, he all of a sudden takes what we would normally consider like a negative thing and he, and he brings it to the positive. He's like, this is a good thing. Spurring someone on is something that you need and you need to be doing in other people's lives. And he tells us that we need to be creative about how we can irritate people. He's like, consider, like think it through how you can totally annoy someone to good deeds and love. How can you irritate them so that they do that? What? what? I mean, this is essentially what he's saying. Like, let us consider how we spur one another on. And the reality is, is that, is that my closest friends spur me on. They, they irritate me and annoy me. The people that have access into my life, I don't always like what they have to say to me. <laughs> this, this, this past week, I know that you think I get beamed down from heaven on a Sunday morning, but I actually, I actually live regular life with a family and things that don't always go the way that I would like them to go. And even this past week, you know, I was, I was coming off the rails, hitting the rumble strip a few times, about the about this situation and you know I, I have someone in my life that yeah they listen to me and then they dig their spur into my side and remind me who I am in Jesus remind me that I'm not all that remind me of the hope that I have in him remind me that that and cause me to to draw nearer to Jesus even when I want to run away we need people in our life that are willing and have access to, to spur us on. I need that, and, and so do you. So do you. I'm in a group of guys that uh, for the past week or so, and we're doing this thing. It's kind of a challenge, and part of it uh, that, that is included in this challenge is diet and exercise and running, which are, well, up to a month ago, used to be swear words for me. And... Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, my, my life verse was Proverbs 28.1, which was this, the, the wicked flee, though no one pursues. In other words, I don't run unless someone's chasing me. Wicked people do that, right? Like, if you're running because you like it, I was like, you're just, you're wicked. That's evil, right? Like, the wicked flee when no one pursues. But how many of you know when you gather around other people that, that, that in many ways, they, they spur us on to go further than we ever would and faster than we ever could and start to say yes to things we would not want and, 
and start to grow in areas that we wouldn't certainly choose to do on our own. Like we need others to spur us on. And so he continues in verse 25, and so my question is like, well, what does that look like? How do we spur one another on? He says in verse 25, not, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So he's like, let's consider how we can spur one another on, but not, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've, I've read that scripture or maybe even he- heard that preached, and we often use that scripture as a way to browbeat people for skipping church, right? You just kind of like, if, if you want to, you could just like, you know, text Hebrews 10.25 somebody who's not at church today, just, just to really lay it in, right? We, we kind of get to this place where, like, that's, that, that, that's what we think that scripture's about. But let me be clear about something. That the church, the church that Jesus saw, the church that Jesus died to make possible, is not simply a weekly gathering of Christians to come and sing songs and listen to preaching. The church that Jesus died for, the church that Jesus saw, is a group of followers of him that commit to doing life together. That's the church of Jesus Christ. And, and that doesn't mean that like, okay, we, we, so you're saying I can just skip church and I don't, I don't need to go? You're missing the point. The writer of Hebrews is actually encouraging us, not that we just show up for an event, but that we show up for each other that we show up for each other in each other's lives. And the difference between showing up for an event and showing up for each other is the difference between being a consumer and being a community. That we're not just called to just show up to church every Sunday and don't miss a week and all that. Now, in order to show up for each other, we need to show up. We need to be a part of a community. So if you're like, man, I just don't understand why I'm not getting connected around here. And like, I come once, once every six weeks, but I just don't understand why I'm not making meaningful relationships. The reality is, is that you need to show up so that you can show up for each other. There's a difference between those two things. It's this realization, as we've been talking about every single one of these one another's, that you need the family of God and that you were never meant to, to follow Jesus alone. You were, this, is, this was never meant to be an individualistic thing. And this goes all the way back, all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to the creation, right? The whole creation story. Adam is created and God looks and studies him and says, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs a suitable helper. This, this, this is God's word in, 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 in Genesis. And, and you may be offended by this, so you might want to write it down as this. God is saying, I am not all that you need. Write it down so you can email me. God is saying, I am not all that you need. Because I think for some of us, it's like, well, you know what? All I really need is God and me. Me and God, and and I don't really need anybody else. And I just, you know, as long as I have God, I don't need other people. And they just kind of muddy the waters. And I would say this, respectfully, God disagrees with you. He disagrees with you. And I want you to notice something. As we look throughout the whole creation story, God doesn't ask Adam what he thinks. There's no like, well, Adam, I was thinking about making a suitable helper for you. What, what's your opinion on the, on the matter? 
Because I think that Adam probably would have answered a lot like some of us. Like, yeah, I don't really know if I need that. I mean, like what we got going on right now, God, is like you and me. And it's like, uh, I think it's going really good. In fact, Lord, I, I took a, you know, Briar's make, uh, or Myers-Briggs personality test, and I'm an INTJ, which means, Lord, did you know what that means? It means that I'm more of an introspective person. I'm more of an introvert. And so I don't really need whatever you called them, suitable helper. I don't really need that. So thanks, but no thanks. Like, that's not something that I, that I necessarily need. But what we find is that even in creation, we were meant to live in relation to each other. That, that community and relationships were, were God's idea. And so he calls us to show up for each other, to show up for one another, to show up when there's a need, to show up to be able to help, to come alongside, to encourage. He says this in, in, in verse 25, he continues, not only show up for one another, he says, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's saying like, don't just show up for each other, encourage each other, strengthen one another, spur, spur one another on. Like this is the church that Jesus saw. This, this is the types of relationships that Jesus cultivated. I mean, if you look at, at the life of Jesus, he kind of had this like public ministry and then this private time with his disciples, right? We see this time and time again. He would go from, from preaching to crowds and then he would go into having discussions with his disciples where they would ask questions and he would answer and they would discuss and they would get a little bit deeper in some of the things that, that, that he was talking about. It's this reality that Jesus preached messages to crowds, but, but he cultivated his message in his crew. There was this, there was something that happened where like impartation happened in a crowd to maybe crowds of maybe hundreds or even thousands of people. Impartation happened, but transformation always seemed to happen in his crew when they would discuss things, when they would figure out how, how they're supposed to apply that to their life and where the application is, the accountability, and how are they going to spur each other on to, uh, to apply that into their life. And I would argue that that is exactly how Jesus means for it to happen today. It happens through relationships. That transformation happens best in relationships. Let me show you in, uh, in Mark chapter 4. Uh, Jesus is kind of like, does this thing where, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed this, if you've read through the, the Gospels. Jesus tends to teach in stories. They're called parables. And the first one here in Mark chapter 4, it says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake and the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat out on the lake. Like the crowd is so big, he's like, I got to get off land and on water. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge and he taught them many things by parables, these stories. And in his teaching, this is what he said. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the, the, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plant and so they did not bear grain. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus says, he kind of drops the mic and he says, whoever has ears to hear, 
Let them hear. I want you to picture this. Jesus has got a big crowd of people, so big that he's got to get out on a boat so that he can talk to them without them getting too close and crowding him. And he's, he's giving them a teaching. He, he's, he's, he's encouraging them. He's inspiring them. He's imparting to them. But in reality, nobody wants to admit it. Just like even maybe even right now when I'm talking, like, nobody really wants to admit it, but they're like, I don't really understand what he's talking about. Like, like you ever been there where you're like, wow, that's really deep. I have no idea what that means. You ever been there? I'm there all the time, even when I'm talking. I'm like, <laughs> such knowledge is too lofty for me. I don't even know what I'm saying. Like, and so there's, there's these times where you're listening and you're like, man, that's, huh. I have no clue what that means. And Jesus, I think he knew, and I think he knows that the sermon wasn't finished until it was processed in relationship. The, the crowd may have thought that it was over and they were like, okay, cool, like we're gonna, we're gonna go do our thing and go on their way, but Jesus knew that it was only halfway through the process. I think it's exactly the way that God works today. Because in Mark chapter four, verse 10, this is just the next verse, when he was alone, so the crowd leaves and whew, wow, finally, the, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. Like, what was that? <laughs> no, what did you mean by that? And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving. Ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and, and be forgiven. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that means. That's really deep. Must be really deep, right? Like, I... I, I, and I struggle with this because what I've always thought is that, because this is what I would do, you know, when you're trying to teach a kid that doesn't maybe understand a deeper concept, you, you, you tell it in story form. So they're like, oh, okay, now I get it. Like, I don't understand what you're talking about, but now I do because you put it into a little story, and so now I get it. So that's kind of what I always thought. Like, Jesus taught in parables. He taught in these stories so that people that were too dense like me could now understand something that's deep. But that's not what Jesus says when he talks in parables. He, he actually doesn't say that. Jesus used parables to hide truth and to reveal it at the same time. What do I mean by that? In other words, I believe when Jesus would speak in parables, the crowd didn't judge the parable, the parable judged the crowd. Because there's kind of two different ways to take it. You know, Jesus preaches this thing about seed and rocks and soil and all this stuff and it's like okay listen the, the careless listener is like okay i got this i understand i, I already know everything and i i i, I they're only going to hear a story that they don't really understand and walk away oh that was really deep but the person who who, who really is a sincere listener it, that, that, that person is the person that like, desires to know God's truth. That's the person that starts to ponder the parable, that confesses their ignorance and walks in humility and submits to God and asks questions and I don't understand and they're willing to be humble and they're willing to be spurred on. It, that's the person that happens like in this crew of guys that they begin to be changed by the spiritual lesson that Jesus was preaching. I think the... The crowd heard a really deep message, but the crew were able to get something that wasn't just information, but it was a revelation that brought transformation in their life. 
And I wonder if sometimes we, we just settle for information. Wow, that was, that was good. That was deep. That was something. That was, you ever been there? That was something. I don't know what it was, but it was something. And we don't choose to dig in, to ask questions, to have other people in our life that, 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 that spur us on to get a deeper understanding and a revelation that can then change us from the inside out. See, Jesus, I, I, teaching was for everyone and anyone, but that revelation that brought transformation happened in his crew. People sitting around in a circle saying, hey, I got some questions. What was that all about? I don't understand it. I, what does that mean for me? It happens best in, in relationship. That's what we see time and time again, and we see it in our own life, that we're not just merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Like James says. I was convicted about this a few years ago, really. Um, I found myself, maybe you can, you can relate to this if, if you've been in this whole Christian thing for, for any length of time. I found myself so concerned with consuming more content more, 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 more uh, teachings and leadership things and reading books and listening to sermons. And I found myself so concerned with consuming content that I was spending little to no time on changing my own character. Like I just, you know what, we can do this with good Christian stuff. Do you realize that, people? Like it, when the Lord really convicted me of this, like I found that I was literally listening to pretty much worship music all the time, even when I wasn't listening to it. I was reading Christian books, Christian, listened to three different you know, Christian podcasts. I was uh, listening to my, my Spotify playlist. I was going to three different Bible studies and two different church services, and that was just in one day. <laughs> and yet this question that was, that was eking on the inside of me was that I... Is it changing your character at all? Because I feel like sometimes it is easier to consume content rather than change character. Rather than to kind of take something in. And sometimes we think that, oh, I know what my problem is. I need to hear a sermon again about it. Let me just tell you. <laughs> Coming from a preacher, sometimes a sermon isn't always the answer. Like, I, I found that there are many times where I'm not even done digesting the sermon I just heard and I'm already stuffing my face with other content from the next sermon. Rather than saying, Jesus, what are you speaking to me about? What is it that you're wanting to do in my life? And that kind of stuff requires one another. It requires us to have people that, that will call us on our junk and, and spur us on to, to be greater than we are. And it's not always about consuming content. So Jesus explains these, these four different types of soil. Let me just run through them really quick if you're unfamiliar with the story. If you're familiar, then this will just be review. The first one he talks about, there's four different types of soil. The farmer goes out and he's sowing seed. The first one it hits is the hardened soil. Essentially, it says in Mark 4, 14, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. These are people that, that are kind of we, like the hardened soil, the hardened heart, right? They, that, there are people that their heart has been walked on a lot. And maybe you can relate. 
You've been walked on by people, by life, by circumstances. And you can really get beaten down pretty good to the point where like, man, I don't even want anything else new to come in. Why? Because I'm still protecting from being hurt before. And so we kind of harden ourselves from anything. And this can happen through a lot of different things. Maybe some ongoing sin in our life, unwillingness to forgive, pride, all kinds of things can cause us to just harden our heart to the word of God. The second one he says is that not just the hardened soil, he says there's rocky soil. Mark 4, 16 says, others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But, but since they have no root, then, then they last only a short time because when, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they, they quickly fall away. These are people that, and, and maybe you, you, you've been in this place before where like, man, you, you heard the word of God and you were so excited and full of joy and man, this is absolutely amazing. Then all of a sudden difficulty comes and things didn't work out quite the way that you thought it was gonna work out. Like I'm following Jesus and like I, I, I don't look any like handsomer. Like I, things aren't working out the way that it was supposed to. And so it quickly, quickly withers because of rocks. There are rocks that try to just take up space in our hearts. Rocks are like bitterness and selfishness and pride and individualism, all those things that just really get in the way of, bro- of your growth. And the third one, he says, that uh, is the thorny soil. Mark 4, 18. He says, still others, like seed sown among thorns or weeds, Hear the word, but the the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. This third type of soil, he's like, look, you you sow the seed on the soil, but it's like this divided heart. There's like, I want it all. I want Jesus, but I also want all these other things. Everything looks good and leafy on the outside, but there's actually no growth or fruit happening because there's weeds growing up in the midst of it all. And then the fourth one, he's like, and then there's the good soil. This is the one that like, man, that's who I am, right? Like, this is the good one. He says, other seed, like, like sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. I mean, that, that sounds good. I mean, like, and, and as we look at this, I was asking the Lord this question this week. I'm like, so what is the difference between the soils? Like, it's the same seed, it is the same farmer, and it is the, the, the same plot of land. And yet, there's different soils that happen. There's the hardened, there's the rocky, there's the weedy, and then there's the good. Like, what is the difference between the soils? And, and honestly, I felt the Lord speak to me and say this, that the difference is the condition of the soil. It's like, okay, well, again, it was like, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, I could have been like, that's so deep. Just leave it right there, drop the mic and walk, right? Like, what do you mean by the condition of the soil? He says it was cultivated. It was irritated. It was spurred on. It was annoyed. <laughs> How many of you know you, you can't cultivate yourself? You can't. You, you need someone to come in to those rocky places, the thorny places, the hard path, sometimes with a pitchfork and sometimes with a plow, but always with something that kind of hurts to start to aerate, 
make way. You don't just walk up to a plot of land and start throwing seed and expect there to be fruit. That only happens when you have someone that comes alongside to help you cultivate it. The difference between the soils is not that one was, you know, we get real fatalistic about it. Like, well, you know, I know a guy who's pretty thorny and I know a rocky girl and I'm the good soil, right? But like, I know all these other people. No, 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 no. The reality is that none of us were born good soil. All of us have had different people in our life come and help cultivate. And sometimes it is spurring on, and sometimes it is annoying, and sometimes it is irritating, and sometimes they go in, and if you've got a friend like this, thank God for them. They go in, and they take a rock right out of your heart, and they're like, did you know that was there? And you're like, I'm going to punch you in the face. You put that rock back, buddy, right? You ever had someone do that to you? Like, you ever have somebody in your life that they're just like, hold on, can I just reach in here right quick? I've got a little weed right here. Ow! What the heck are you doing? I just thought you'd want that pulled. Kind of liked it there. It was green. Kind of making me feel leafy, you know, and you're just like pulling weeds. You got to have somebody in your life that is willing to see blind spots in you and call them out and say, hey, you're kind of doing, doing stupid. Are you aware of that? Yes, I am. Thank you very much, right? Yeah. You need someone in your life that, and I hope you do, and if you don't, I want you to be praying about this, that you have somebody that you can trust that has access into your life that says, hey, I just, I don't think you want this here. It's getting in the way of your growth because sometimes we get into this place where we're like, I just don't understand why I'm not growing. Like, I, I've been coming to church, I've been doing my thing, I've been praying, I've been doing this, I've been doing that, I've been doing this, I've been doing that, and I don't, I'm not seeing, like, things improving in some areas. And I would say that sometimes it's, are you allowing one another to one another you? To spur us on to love and good works. Paul says it a different way. He says this that, um, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 3, he says, some plant, some water, but God brings the growth. You ever heard that before? He talks about the different, different roles that people play in our life. Now, we like to focus on, the, on some plant, right? And we think like, okay, like even like right now, for some of you, like I don't really know many of you, and so I'm, I'm speaking the word of God, and I'm planting, essentially. I'm, I'm sowing seed out there. I don't know where, if it, where it's going to go or what, what, what the condition of your heart is, but we're sowing seed, we're sowing seed. But how many of you know, he says, some plant, there are some people that, that impart truth into your life, and then there's some people that water. They, they, they're, you need people in your life that are willing to come in with a rake, to spur you on, to pitchfork, to cultivate and aerate you, someone that's willing to help pull weeds and to pull rocks and pick rocks for you. Some water and some, some plant and some water. Some cultivate. But it is God who brings the growth. That's what he's talking about when he's like, it's so important that we would consider and be creative about how we would spur and irritate and annoy each other. You're like, well, I got people like that in my life. I have children that do that every day, right? They are very creative on how they irritate me, right? But you have people in this good way that are creative in how they can speak truth and love, and you know that they love you, and sometimes it hurts, and you're like, you just shut up, but you know, but you know that you know that you know that you're not meant to walk this alone. Why don't you stand with me? You know, I, I just want you to ask this question. 
Who is it that is spurring you on? Who is helping to cultivate your heart? Who is it that, that has access into your life to, to pull rocks and, and pull weeds? And sometimes you're like, lay off, right? But you know it's for your own good. Who is it that you have that can help cultivate what it is that God is wanting to do so that that seed doesn't just turn into a plant, but it turns into fruit that lasts? And as I think about all these one another's that we've been talking about, I love them because I believe that they help accomplish what it is that we're talking about right now. I believe that loving one another will break up the hardest ground. Well, but you don't understand what's, what's happened to me, the abuse and the people that have done this and said this and been this. I want, I want to tell you, loving one another is what breaks up that ground that has been hard and protection holds us back from, from ever trusting again. And we choose to walk in love towards one another, encouraging one another. That's like fertilizer, baby. That's like miracle growth. That's like you, you all of a sudden find that you're wanting to go further, faster, higher, deeper, that you never, ever could or would want to do on your own. That's what encouragement does for one another. Compassion, having compassion for one another, that is like having water poured on something that is dry and thirsty and weary when someone just reaches out in compassion to you. Hey, I just felt, I, felt, I, was, I was praying for you this week. Is there anything that I can do to help? Forgiving one another. That's like going in and removing a rock that took up space that God could be using to grow you. And even just accountability, having people in your life that say, you know, hold on, I'm going to pull the, ow, I'm going to pull, I, you, it's going to hurt for a second, but I'm going to do it real quick, right? They always say that, ow, no, it didn't, you know, like, we're, we're going to pull weeds that I wouldn't necessarily see on my own. And in fact, you know you have a good friend when they have access to rip a rock out of your heart and you don't punch them. And if you never allow people to spur you on, if they never spur the condition of your soil, then you will you'll always hear things the way you want to hear them. And many times we hear things out of our own wounds. And it stunts our growth of moving forward in him. So you need people to weed and to water and to cultivate and to spur you on for all that God is wanting to do in and through you. And for some of you in here today, like maybe this is like a confirmation for you where you're just like, you know what? I am so glad that I have people like this in my life. Pastor Justin, when you're talking about this, like I got like three spurs. They're horribly awesome, right? Like... I mean, I want to kill them, but they're great. You know, great friends. They don't shut up sometimes, but they're great. You know, like you got people in your life and you're like, yeah, yeah, I got this. My husband's that, my wife's that, my friend's this. Absolutely, yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe even today, you just thank them for being that spur in your side. <laughs> thank you for pushing me to love and good deeds. Thank you for, not, for loving me enough to not let me just sit in my own but choosing to, to come alongside and caring enough to help. And for some of you, maybe this is an affirmation that you're like, you know what? And maybe you need to hear this. This is time for me to step up and to help spur one another on to loving good deeds. 
You're like, wait, you know what? I already have that in my life, Pastor Justin. Like, I'm, you know, I, I already got some friends like that. I don't really need that. And I, I, I'm all good. Now, here's what I want to say to you. You know, it's kind of an unabashed plug. We're doing life groups. We're having a kickoff next week, right? You see all those things. And for some of you, maybe you're like, you know what? Been there, done that, don't need it. For some of you, you're like, I already have kind of that group of people. I don't really need that. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you'd say, you know what? I'm going to join a group or lead a group, not because I need to necessarily be spurred on by one another, but because, well, the writer of Hebrews says that we are called to consider how you might spur one another on. Like maybe... Maybe you just choose to get connected in a new way, not because you need it, but because someone else does. They need what you have. They need to be pushed and to spurred on to love and good deeds. As we, as we end today in worship, I am, I'm absolutely just humbled by by this tub and the four people that got baptized in here because I don't know if you noticed for some of these people they had they had we had people that came alongside and helped for some of them you were that spur that, that, that has been coming alongside them and encouraging them and exhorting them and bringing them along and because of your worship to the Lord in front of them, they made a decision to follow God. Don't ever take light of that. The role that you have as a follower of Jesus, as a worshiper of Jesus, that you draw people who you don't even know closer to him. So as we worship today, I, I just want to lift his name up today. Maybe today you just thank God. Thank God for, for the people that you've placed, that he's placed in your life. Maybe today you say, God, I'm willing to, to make a decision and make a leap and make a jump and, and do something different. Knowing that you've called me to, to, to community, to relationship. You didn't ask my opinion about it, but there seems to be something that I might be missing in my own life, Jesus. So Lord, I thank you for those people that have served as spurs in my side spurred me on to loving good works. My prayer is that this one another would spur you on. I pray that it irritates you and annoys you. I pray it gets under your skin and causes you to say, Lord, what are you speaking to me about today? How can I consider, think about how we spur one another on to loving good deeds? Lord, we thank you for the family that we've been placed in here at New Life. God, I thank you that you have called us to live this thing together. I thank you for the mothers and fathers, spiritual aunts and uncles, grandparents and kids that, that you've placed us in to help spur one another on, to go further than we ever thought we could and faster than we ever would, deeper than we ever wished or hoped. Lord, we thank you spur us on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.